Amen. Amen. Cool. Great. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we're uh, going to start a little sort of mini-series leading up to Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost Sunday is on the 20th. It'll be, uh, it'll of course be during the May 2-4 long weekend, so it'll probably be one of our more lightly attended Sundays, but we're going to just track through the church calendar on that. You guys can come home back from your cottages for, uh, for Pentecost Sunday if you want to, but uh, uh, we're going to just sort of, in, in the meantime, just sort of look at you know, sort of Jesus' story leading up to that, to that incredible moment of the birth of the church, that moment where the, the church takes the stage. If you'll remember uh, the series that we did in Lent, we were looking uh, back at the moment when uh, Jesus and Peter had this encounter in a, in a place called Caesarea Philippi in the north of uh, Israel. And they were there and in this completely pagan place. And uh, Peter has this encounter where he realizes, whoa, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter. You're like a little rock. And on this little big rock of this revelation of who I am, that's what I'm going to build the church on. And I'm going to build it out of you, Peter. And so Peter has this incredible experience with Jesus. But this is where it actually starts, the beginning of the life of the church. But what I wanted to sort of think about in terms of a theme as we look at some of these passages was uh, to look at it as how we can live lives of vitality. If you look at the uh, the story of the early church in Acts chapter 2, there's a sort of iconic passage where they're, uh, they're there, they're uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching, they're meeting in the temple courts, they're praying all the time, they're giving away all their money, uh, miracles are happening, the church is exploding, Peter preaches a sermon, 3,000 people are saved, churches are planted all over the world, and the, the church is just growing exponentially. And isn't that just, that's just something that we all want to experience, right? We'd love to see that here in Carlton Place. We love our nice community here at OVV. But, you know, if you use your x-ray vision and look beyond the walls of the church here, beyond, beyond this high school, uh, you can uh, see that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in this region who don't know that they could possibly be worshiping the creator of the universe on Sunday mornings. And they're missing something right? They're missing something amazing. And, and in order for us to be able to help invite people into this incredible experience of relationship with God, we have to be able to model it. We have to be able to demonstrate it. Uh, what we're going to look at at the end of this little passage we're looking at this morning is the idea of us being witnesses. What does that mean for us to be witnesses? But let's just go right to the text um, and, and dig into it. Uh, I'll, I'll just uh, say that the uh, slides are a little underdeveloped this week. We just got incredibly busy and didn't have a chance to uh, present the images as well as I would like, but we're going to just dig into the text and kind of do this old school. So let's just read this together. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, <clears throat> reads this. On one occasion, while he was eating with him, that's Jesus, uh, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth. So this is just before the ascension of Jesus, right? Uh, he's uh, resurrected. He's, he's come back to life. He's hanging out in the Jerusalem area and meeting with his friends, meeting with his disciples. He's showing up in rooms. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about him like Star Trek, like beam in to uh, the, the room where the disciples were all hanging out with closed doors, freaked them all out. Right, like he's there all of a sudden, and he's flesh and blood. Like, dude, are you a ghost? And I'm like, I'm not a ghost. Check it out. A ghost doesn't have flesh like this. And uh, and he's like, real deal. He's there, right? And so he has all these encounters with them. And the thing I want to notice first from this passage is, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, we're just going to go and make observations from the text. Uh, I just want to observe this one phrase on one occasion. Uh, Luke is making making note here that. Uh, this wasn't the only occasion, right? On one of the times when they were meeting with Jesus, one of the times when they were having lunch, hanging out with him, after he was supposed to be dead and buried and had come back, right? So Luke is just sort of like snidely putting this little phrase in here. Hey, remember, this is a real deal. For all of you people in the future, Jesus was bodily resurrected from the grave and he was out there doing stuff. Uh, We look back over 2,000 years and realize that all the people who read this in the text believed in the literal resurrection of Jesus. That this is not just a myth story, this is not just uh, something that people made up, that this is something that many, many eyewitnesses saw. Our faith as Christians is founded on actuality, it's founded on history, it's founded on truth, on things that had really happened. It says this, and while he was eating with them. Um, as we just sort of think about that, that phrase, um, Jesus meets us in incredibly practical ways and in incredibly practical places, doesn't he? He, he meets us here on, on Sunday morning, right, where we're gathered to worship. This is what, uh, in, in that phrase in, uh, in Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus is talking with Peter, he said, this is uh, the church, the ecclesia, that's the Greek word for church, which means a gathering of people who were called out from their homes to gather together, to be in one place, to hear the story of God told. Uh, the word ecclesia would have been used to describe a situation where a governor or a ruler would have come into a town and wanted to make an announcement to the whole town. So he would have called an ecclesia, he would have called a church, and everybody would come to the center of the town to have church have ecclesia, that's the word that's used for church, and they would gather to hear something together uh, from the leadership of Rome or from the leadership of Israel. So this church is a gathering of people to come together and hear something. That's what identifies the church, everybody coming out of their home to hear. But Jesus also was there, and he was going into their homes. He was going into places and, and having meals with them and having encounters with them. And I, and I just think that there's an amazing thing that happens that's uh, sacred when we gather together in homes and just do time together. So as much as we value this gathering, we also value our home churches. We value what happens unscheduled just by doing life and doing community together. As we open our homes last night, we had some, some friends together and, uh, and we had them over, had them over for dinner at six and it didn't go well. Uh, dinner was ready at about, what, 11.30 or 10.30? 10.30? 
I had some meat in the smoker. I love like taking meat and putting it in the smoker and, and letting it cook in there low and slow, 225 degrees for 12 pounds of pork butt just roasting in there in the smoke. Anybody's mouth watering yet? Like it's a, it's a good thing. We're doing community, doing life together. And there's this thing in smoking when you're smoking a big chunk of meat that's called the stall. And what happens is when your chunk of meat uh, gets in there, the heat that's going into the meat reaches equilibrium with the cooling effect of the evaporation on the meat. So it will stay there at like 150 degrees for as long as it wants until it dries out a bit and the temperature starts rising again. So I put the meat in there at 8 in the morning. No, actually it was more like closer to 7 in the morning. By 1 o'clock it had reached 150 degrees internal temperature. It stayed at 150 degrees internal temperature till about 5. Five hours of cook time, not moving at all. And then it had to cook from there up to the, the final temperature that we wanted. So we're like sitting there. I'm so frustrated. Like, I want to feed these guys at 6 o'clock. We had dessert at 8. You know, like, okay, we're hungry. Let's just eat the dessert now. Like, come on. And I'm getting frustrated. And St. Catherine, uh, that'd be St. Kathy more Crispin, uh, as I'm like getting frustrated and wound up the whole time, she's, she's like, hey, it's just, it's just part of the journey. We're just on the journey together. We're having fun. Everybody's okay. And I get all stressed out. Why is the meat not cooking? I'm looking obsessively at my digital thermometer. Like, I really want something practical to happen. I really want something to go down. I want this meat to cook. Like, we're, I'm like praying, like, maybe it could go faster. Like, maybe we can make this meat go faster. And, and prayer doesn't work on meat. It really doesn't work. I, I mean, we want to see that kind of miracle, but it's not working. Simon and I are stressing it a little bit. He's developing a formula. He's an engineer. Developing a formula so that we can calculate the uh, finished time of the meat, collecting data points on the temperature every so. And it's like, this has got to be like a, an exponential curve. It's, this can't be a linear thing. Like, and, but it's, it's just tracking up. All you science geeks are getting this, but it's like, it's, it's going slow. We calculated it was going to be done by what, one o'clock or something like that in the morning? Yeah. So, you know, it just wasn't, was, was going to be a late supper? But you know what, in those moments of like me being frustrated and wanting something to happen, you know, that, that wanting my program to happen, but everything is stalled out. It's in those moments of the stall when Jesus meets us. Right? He just came and ate with his disciples. Like he didn't put on a meeting. He, he didn't put on a show. He didn't preach. He, he didn't do anything. He just came to hang with his disciples and, and eat a meal with them. And we just got to see that as a community, as something that is rich and has value, that Jesus can be present in. That's why we do this coffee time. That's why we do home churches. Uh, just, just look for Jesus in the moments of the stall, not just these amazing moments that we have on Sunday morning. So he was eating with them, and he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. Do not leave Jerusalem. Uh, just, just a thought on, on, on this idea of command. We talked last week about how Jesus, um, you know, leads us as sons, not so much as slaves, right? But aren't there things also in life that are, are things that are commands that he gives us? 
How do we understand that sense of Jesus' command, that sense that Jesus uh, orders us to do things, that sense that Jesus has ways that we ought to live, and at the same time be people who are in partnership with him in terms of deciding the outcome of our life? Best illustration to understand that is, is a car. How many of you, you know, drive cars? How many of you maintain your cars? How many of you just love popping the hood, getting in there, changing the oil? Yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of good stuff. You know, there's some rules about cars that are commands that were given. Don't let your car run out of oil, right? It ceases to be a car at that point, right? Don't let your car uh, run out of gas. It ceases to be a useful thing. Well, you could sleep in it, I guess, right? Don't let your car run out of gas. Put your seatbelt on. There's things that are commands that Jesus gives us. Don't eat meat sacrificed uh, to idols. Uh, we see that uh, later on in the book of Acts. Uh, read your Bible. Uh, get to know me. Uh, there's things that are just foundational things that are part of Christianity, that are part of us. But uh, then Jesus says, okay, you've got your oil in the car. You've got the gas in the tank. Uh, you've got your seatbelt on. Now let's decide together where we're going to drive. That's really what the Christian life is like, is we separate out these things that are commands that we're supposed to do and follow as orders, as life to us, things that make our lives work. And then there are ways in which we have faculties that God's given us to make decisions and to follow and to do these things. So he commands them. He says, hey, this is something that you need to do. Uh, Go wait in Jerusalem. Hang out in Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. And of course, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He explains it here. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're looking ahead to... um, Pentecost Sunday where we celebrate that moment where the church was immersed in the Holy Spirit. What did John's baptism with water mean? People had made a decision to change their lives. They'd made a decision to turn around, to repent, to go a different way, identify with righteousness, and no longer identify with sin. But in being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's a similar deal where we choose no longer to be identified with our individualistic powerlessness, trying on our own to somehow get to God. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're immersed in the Spirit, and we are, from that point, turning away from our powerless, lonely existence of trying to do life without God to a life that is empowered and filled with Him. And so that's what's going to happen in the book of Acts. These disciples are all there. They're trying to figure out, what, what are we going to do? Like, how do we do life? What do we do? Jesus is here. He's resurrected. How do we tell the story? What are we supposed to do? What does this mean to us? In fact, a little bit further on, just to, just to bring it together, they're actually asking him really practically, okay, so the Holy Spirit's coming. We're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They gather closer around him, and they finally are saying, like, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is this the time? Like, remember, they, they had all this talk about, about doing this. Like, are you the Messiah? Are you going to kick out the Romans? Are you going to raise uh, a military coup and knock them out of there? Are you going to install us as leaders over Israel? They're thinking really practically, militarily, the way you thought about Messiahs in that time. And Jesus is like, no, this is a different kind of kingdom, right? He's, he's always teaching about his kingdom. Um, and so they're like, okay, so is this the moment at which you're going to kick out the Romans? You're going to let Israel raise itself up as the leader of the nations. And, uh, and, and hey, by the way, Jesus, 
Um, do you think like, we could be like the leaders? That would be really, really cool if you could just set us up as supreme dictator for life, Peter, and a supreme dictator for life, John, and we'll just work it out together and we'll figure this, this thing out, right? Who's going to be the greatest? And they're back to this whole swirl. And Jesus does this. It's so amazing. Instead of uh, sort of wrestling down that idea and saying, no, this is not the kind of kingdom I'm talking about, uh, he, he just says this. He's like, just, let's just let them just roast in some mystery for a little while. He says, well, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority. Yeah, nana poo-poo, I'm not telling you. <laughs> right? Isn't Jesus a jerk sometimes? Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but does it feel like he comes across as a jerk sometimes? Like, oh, come on, Jesus. Like, tell us what you want us to do. Like, like, like let's kick out the Romans. Let's get the party on. Let's do it. He's like, nana poo-poo, I'm not telling you. Right? He's got this, uh, this amazing vibe. When he wants to, he just deflects us and leaves us to stew in the mystery. And eventually they came back to an understanding of what the kingdom was. And they came back as he said this. He said, but you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. So you'll receive power. And, 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 and to them, that word power still is probably meaning, okay, so that is power to kick out Rome. That is power to uh, rule, that is power to uh, reestablish justice, to uh, let Israel rise up as a nation. But he, he explains what the power is for. And this is really, really important for us as believers to understand what the power is for. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That's what the power is for. Now, we in evangelical Christianity and in the West, we want the power for all kinds of things, don't we? We want the power to protect the church from persecution so that our lives of faith can be super safe. We want the power to uh, vote out Kathleen Wynne because our hydro bills are really high. Uh, we want the power... Uh, <laughs> To do all kinds of things, right? I promise you I'm not getting political. That's not my bag. But we want the power for those kinds of things, don't we? We want the power to uh, make it so that God will always bless us financially in a way that is just unbelievable and we have all the money we need and to have our boats and cars and, and our private jets. I mean, I mean, I don't have my private jet yet. I mean, I haven't told you all about it, but it's in the hangar out back. Right? It's not, it's not what it's about. That's not what the power is about. The power isn't about an elevating us. The power is about being a witness. So that's the question for us really as people. How do we be witnesses for Jesus? How many of you remember that, uh, that old phrase? It's only, only old people are going to be able to raise their hands. How many of you ever went witnessing? Did you ever go out witnessing? Right? I see no one under, under 50 has raised their hands. <laughs> but that used to be a thing back in the day where we would go out witnessing. We would go out, we would go out with tracks. I'm under 50 and I witnessed. But, uh, but we would go out there with tracks. How many of you remember the Bridge to Life tract? 
or the four spiritual laws tracked. And we would go, sometimes we would knock on, on people's doors. In my zeal, I went, I, I'm like, I'm not going to just witness anybody. I'm going to Parliament Hill. And I would go down to Parliament Hill and I would stalk around the hill sometimes and like try to tell people about Jesus. We had this worship thing. I don't know if you remember that, where we felt like God wants us to worship at the eternal flame. And we went to the eternal flame and we were trying to, I was standing on the eternal flame trying to sing songs. Yeah, on Parliament Hill and try to get everybody to listen. And I preached the greatest outdoor sermon in all of humanity that nobody listened to at all. Because we as Canadians just do a complete like, don't look at the weird guy. Don't look at the weird guy. Right? <laughs> right? Totally nobody got it. But it, and I still feel good that I was out there proclaiming the gospel, right? But you know what? Here's the deal. Like this whole bit about being witnesses... Look at, just look at the language around that and pay attention to that for just a second. I will give you power and you will do some witnessing. You will witness on occasion to your people in the workplace. You will uh, witness in this program. You will witness at your high school. You will go and do witness. The word witness there is not a verb. It's a noun. You will be my witnesses. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is intended to transform you and to make you into something that demonstrates the person of Jesus. To be something that when people see it, when people hear you, they hear about Jesus. It's, it, it can be an activity. I believe in evangelism. I believe in outreach. I believe in all of those programs. They're good. But none of them work unless we exist. Our existence in the Holy Spirit is the existence of witnesses for Jesus. That is who you are, church. That is who you are. You are witnesses. I would say that most of the time I'm a pretty bad witness. But that's the goal. To be people when we are seen, when we interact with those in the workplace, when we interact with our friends at school, it is evident that they are talking to someone who is connected to Jesus and who can tell them about Jesus. Let's stand up. Lord, we want to live lives of vitality. We want to live lives of vitality. I just confess, God, that, that um, this whole idea of living a vital, spirit-filled life and its connection with my ability to be a witness for you is, is a little bit broken. I confess that about myself, and I think we can confess that about ourselves and about our church that we've got uh, an ability to turn witnessing on and to do witnessing and to have conversations, but, but we want to be filled with your Holy Spirit in order that we might be witnesses, that that might be who we are. 
So come Holy Spirit. Can this uh, act thing that happened happen to us in a much more radical way? Holy Spirit, come and transform us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Come and empower us. We acknowledge your purpose. That we as a church, when we're gathered, that we as a church, when we go out as individuals, are here to be a witness to you. Would people be able to hear in our words that we are those who follow a resurrected Lord? Would we be able to be uh, observable as people who are forgiven and free? Our shame is gone. Would you connect us with the reality of what you've done through the cross and through your resurrection and empower us by your spirit so that we can be just who you've meant for us to be. We don't, we barely know what that looks like, God. But would your purpose be fulfilled in us as a church and in us as individuals? We commit ourselves to your purpose again, Lord. Lord, for anyone here who's wrestling with the question of, of even if you are real, if you did die for their sin, if you uh, did uh, resurrect from the grave, if there's anyone here who needs to make a decision to follow you, would you speak now to their hearts? And invite them into this journey with us. We want to live vital lives, fully alive in you. Come Holy Spirit. Send us out from here to the grocery stores, to wherever we go, to be you. In a whole new way. just in the presence of the Spirit here, there might be some of us who, uh, who just feel powerless to do that. You just feel like when you go to share, when you go to um, tell Jesus' story, when you go to live in a Christian way in, uh, in your workplace, that you have this uh, sense of, man, I just want to clamp this down. I want to keep this a secret. I, I don't want to live fully turned on for Jesus here. I, I'm scared. And, and in some ways, that's probably because you don't feel like you have the power to do so and to, and to believe that it would possibly work out. And so if that's you, if you're in that place where you feel like you're underpowered for the task, and you've had all kinds of encounters where, where you've just chickened out like I have, then that's, that's just about inviting the Holy Spirit to come and empower us in a new way. So let's just confess our sense of powerlessness and just invite the Holy Spirit to fill us with his power so that we can be confident. Lord, we confess 
that we felt powerless. We felt small and insignificant. We've been filled with such doubt that when we uh, would think we could open our mouths, we just clamp them shut because we're scared. Would you fill us with your power in a way that overcomes our fear? Holy Spirit, come. release this in a moment, but I just keep getting this sense of of weight just a little bit. Let's just sort of soak in God's presence for a little bit longer here. Break through our fears, Holy Spirit. Fill us up, Lord. I want to end with us just singing that doxology together that we sung uh, earlier. Just uh, sing with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here Thank you.